We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cast. Good morning. Baltimore's food scene is chock full of creativity, innovation, and good eats. The pandemic dealt a blow to many restaurants, which forced some to close, but lots have thrived, and there are also many new establishments to experience. In a few minutes, we'll hear about Groundwork Kitchen, a new restaurant in Pigtown that's serving up great food while training the next cadre of food service workers, sous chefs, and more. First, to get the latest on restaurant openings and also some new challenges facing the hospitality industry, joining us is Christina Tasik, who covers food news for the Baltimore Banner, WIPR's online news partner. Welcome back to On the Record, Christina. Hi, Sheila. Thanks for having me. Let's start with openings. What's new in Baltimore's restaurant offerings? Well, there's a couple new places that are coming up. Um, I'm really looking forward to the opening of Nana, uh, which is a taco and chicken, mostly carry out restaurant that's coming to uh, Stonely. And that's from uh, Carlos Rava, who many people in Baltimore know from um, his longtime uh, stint at Clavel. He's staying on at Clavel, but he's just opening his new place. Um, there's a new Peter Chang dim sum restaurant near Johns Hopkins hospital that I'm really looking forward to. Um, and I'm sure many in Baltimore are as well. And the rise and rest cafe that is going to be coming to the Patterson park area this spring are, those are three places that are pretty high on my radar for the next couple of months. You've been writing about Ni Hao in Canton. Also what's happening there? Yeah, Nihao is going to, uh, well, actually, I, I think it already happened over the weekend. Um, they closed on the Lunar New Year um, and are planning to reopen in February with a new concept. It's not exactly clear what is going to happen for Nihao. It is really surprising, I think, to a lot of people. A lot of people stopped me and said, oh, my God, I love Nihao. How could it change? Um, but I think that what what Lydia Chang, who is Peter Chang's daughter and is a partner at the restaurant, told me is that the the restaurant, as it was, was just not profitable the way it was operating. And they really need to make it work better as a business. Um, my guess is from interviewing Peter Chang in the past, a lot of Asian restaurants have struggled to find um, chefs in this area who can who can really perform some of the intricate walk skills that are required to prepare the food, um, you know, in addition to other, um, you know, hard to learn uh, cooking techniques. And what I've seen, um, you know, what I know Peter Chang is interested in is creating a centralized kitchen in Maryland where he can, on a larger scale, produce foods that will go to his many restaurants in the Maryland and Virginia area. And that will kind of reduce the, um, will reduce the need to have uh, a large staff at each individual kitchen. Hmm. In your most recent newsletter, The Dish, you spoke with Marshall Weston, president and CEO of the Restaurant Association of Maryland. He thinks Baltimore's dining scene is in trouble. Unpack that. Yeah, he said that it was one of his uh, chief concerns going into this uh, this year that the number of restaurants in Baltimore from 2010 to last summer has dropped about 5%. And that comes at a time when every other jurisdiction in Maryland has gained a bunch of restaurants. 
um, you know, Maryland has gained an average of 20% um, more restaurants during that period. And so it was really alarming to him. So the, um, the drop you're talking about is in the city, not... It is in the city. Yeah. In Baltimore County, I think there was about 30... 30 Baltimore County has, I want to say 30% more restaurants than it did in 2010. Um, Howard County as well. So yeah, it is really... you're. He's really talking about within the city limits. What's behind that? It's, you know, it's kind of hard to say. Um, I mean, I've seen a lot of restaurants shut down during the pandemic. In fact, I think the 5% rate, when he told me that number, I was kind of like, well, you know, it, I think it's even increased since the pandemic because I know, um, you know, just based on the number of liquor licenses that are active in the city, um, that Baltimore lost nearly 10% of its restaurants during the pandemic. Um, you know, a lot of business owners that I've talked to in the downtown area um, have said that they just haven't seen the increase in traffic that they were hoping for. They just haven't seen um, workers return for lunch crowds. They haven't seen workers return for happy hours. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not just downtown. In other parts of the city as well, I have talked to business owners who have complained that customers from surrounding counties won't come to the city because they're afraid of crime or because they're, uh, you know, they're having trouble finding parking. But I think realistically, it might also just have to do with there being more options in Baltimore County and Howard County than there used to be. It used to be that Baltimore City was the only place to get a good meal in this area, that, you know, Little Italy was the dining destination. Um, and, uh, you know, people who live in places like Towson, um, Owings Mills are seeing new restaurants pop up in their, those areas. So I don't think that there's any one single factor, um, but I do think that um, the pandemic and a lot of people who were coming from the surrounding counties for work, um, having them no longer come into the city is probably playing a big role. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass speaking with Baltimore Banner food reporter Christina Tasik getting a scoop about new restaurant options and some of the challenges of keeping them open. What are some of the food trends you're noticing? Yeah, there's a couple things that are on my radar right now. One thing that I really love to see as someone who grew up, um, I'm, I'm imagining that I'm going to get some emails for this, but I grew up loving McDonald's and just like McDonald's egg McMuffins, you know, egg sandwiches, grew up on Happy Meals. And I am seeing all of these restaurants have kind of these winks to McDonald's, to fast food, to comfort food. I mean, all of us really, you know, rekindled our love affair with comfort food during the pandemic, I think, you know, just like emotional eating was the name of the game. And restaurants that even have like really um, fine dining, chefs with a really strong fine dining background, I'm seeing them have these kind of cheeky references to McDonald's cheeky comfort food dishes. Um, I'm thinking about Little Donna's, which I mentioned in my newsletter last week, which is a really fantastic new restaurant in Upper Fells Point. And, um, you know, on their menu, they have a an apple pie that the a server described as being just like the McDonald's apple pie, you know, because it has that that rectangular shape. But what I think it, it what I think that it it symbolizes is kind of this like shifting away from the seriousness and borderline pretension that we've seen in the restaurant industry for a while and just saying, you know what, this is what I like to eat. And it's also, you know, to an extent, it could be uh, in some cases, chefs just acknowledging, you know, what 
what chefs like to eat, what their preferences are, what they grew up on. Well, is fine dining over? I mean, it's an interesting question and one that's really been on my mind, particularly during the pandemic. I mean, even before the pandemic, I did talk to restaurateurs um, at fine dining restaurants who own fine dining restaurants and said that they struggled sometimes with the idea that their restaurant was perceived as being like a special occasion place that you might go for a birthday or an anniversary, but you wouldn't go on a Tuesday night. And there has been, um, you know, a push from a lot of fine dining restaurateurs to transform into a place that you could just go on a Wednesday or a Thursday. Um, at the same time, I think, you know, with the labor issue that is really on the forefront of everyone's minds right now, um, people are rethinking the traditional fine dining uh, restaurant model, which is extremely, extremely labor intensive and and looking at how to make that easier. And that said, I think people are they, people are always going to want a special occasion place, but I think that there might be fewer fine dining places and more um, kind of approachable restaurants, and and definitely more restaurateurs who are defining their restaurants as approachable and less exclusive. Baltimore Restaurant Week starts Friday, January twenty seventh through February fifth. There are four dozen four dozen restaurants participating. Is there a strategy you'd recommend to choose from those offerings? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely take a look at, um, you know, at the restaurants. It's such a great time. If there's a place that's been on your radar for a really long time, it's, you know, obviously such a great time to check out some, you know, one of those places. Keep in mind that, you know, I think that in the past, some restaurants would have like a $35 set menu. That number seemed to have gone up. Um, You know, I think the average is often $45. Um, But, you know, definitely look ahead, plan ahead, make your reservations. Um, Places do do tend to book up pretty quickly during that time. Is there a place you're planning to visit to take advantage of Restaurant Week? I would definitely put on my list um, Chingali, which the Foreman Wolf restaurants tend to um, be pretty steady eddies when it comes to restaurant week participation. Um, I've also really enjoyed um, Foraged at its new location in Station North. And I noticed that they're participating. I wasn't, the last time I checked, they didn't have their menu up, but I'm I'm sure it'll, it'll be good. What What's on your horizon as far as other industry news to watch? Yeah, um, one story that I'm really interested in tackling in the next couple of weeks and months is the story about you know, a living wage in the restaurant industry. Um, There's been a push, there was a successful push in DC to implement, um, you know, a higher minimum wage for servers who, you know, are, have been paid, you know, they make a base wage that is less than minimum wage, um, but are paid tips on top of that. And they're more and more, um, you know, particularly amid the pandemic and our current labor shortage. um, I think there's, more of an effort to change that. You know, a lot of times restaurant owners and the Restaurant Association of Maryland um, as well have said that they think that workers for the most part prefer things as they are. They prefer to make a tipped wage on top of, you know, a very small base wage. Um, But when I have talked to workers, I have been asking around, I've been asking people what they think of this. And for the most part, everyone that I talk to says, no, actually, this is something we really do want. And by the way, we'd also really like health care and health insurance and more benefits. 
Um, and so I think that as the labor shortage in hospitality continues to be a huge, you know, it's it's a huge factor and, it, and it's really changing the way that a lot of restaurants operate. I'm really interested in looking at how servers are paid. Um, you know, and I'm, I'd really encourage, um, you know, any servers who have thoughts on this, please do reach out to me. Um, I'm interested in talking to as many people as possible for this. As we wrap up, Christina, what's the last delicious thing that you have eaten out somewhere? Oh, well, I have eaten some really good stuff lately, um, thanks to this job. But um, I stopped by One-Eyed Mike's on Friday. Um, the restaurant is um, going up for auction next month, as I mentioned in my column. And I, while I was there, I decided to just order the duck breast entree. Um, and it was really, really amazing. I had never been to One-Eyed Mike's. Like the name just always seemed to me kind of like an Ocean City tourist trap. No offense to anyone who just loves One-Eyed Mike. Mike's. Um, but this dish combined with my surprise at having like a great meal at at this bar, it was it really knocked it out of the park. Sounds yummy. Thanks. Thanks, Christina. Thanks for having me. Christina Tasik writes about food and drink for the Baltimore Banner, WIPR's online news partner. We have links to her articles and her newsletter, The Dish, which comes out on Wednesdays. Short break on the record when we're back. What's on the menu at Groundwork Kitchen in Pigtown? And who makes up the workforce that helps bring it to the table? I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Today we're getting an overview of Baltimore's restaurant scene, openings, closing, food trends. Now we'll hear about a new place in Pigtown, Groundwork Kitchen, which is also home to the Paul's Place Culinary Training Program. Paul's Place offers resources, training, and support to low-income individuals and families in the neighborhood. Melanie Molinero is the general manager of Groundwork Kitchen. She joins us by Zoom. Welcome, Melanie. Hello. Thank you for having me. And Ellen Levy is program director for the culinary training that happens at Groundwork Kitchen. Welcome, Ellen. Hi. Thank you. Melanie, tell us about Groundwork, the restaurant. You work closely with executive chef Jonathan Hicks. Yeah. So John and I, we work side by side. Uh, We're getting ready to open up the restaurant come February. Uh, We were closed because of the pandemic, but we're restarting um, restaurant operations and also restarting um, the the restaurant operations when it comes with uh, the training program. So a full integration between our training program and our restaurant. Ellen, what is the culinary training program? So we offer a free 12-week training program for people who want to get hands-on experience and industry-recognized credentials and launch careers in food service. And what do they need in order to get started? You know, we're very purposely uh, trying to eliminate as many barriers to entry as possible. So we, someone has to be 18 years old, authorized to work in the U.S., and want to work in food service. Melanie, you and Ellen 
coordinate on the curriculum, which I understand includes actual work in the restaurant. Tell us about what the students learn. So when the students come into the restaurant, uh, they're going to learn anything from the basics to a little bit more complex uh, items. So we'll take them through stocks and sauces, all the way up to plating dishes. Uh, we also offer uh, fast, casual restaurant setup with our carryout so they can experience what it's like to work in a cafe. We'll also offer uh, what it's like to work in an actual full bustling restaurant. And we have a lot of catering that we immerse the students in as well. Ellen, what would you add to that? I think part of what uh, was special about the program is um, the dedication to the supports to make sure that um, structural barriers to employment won't stop someone from being successful in the program. And afterwards, we have a full-time case manager. We provide uh, transportation assistance, either gas cards and uh, bus passes. We provide stipends throughout the program. Um, we have shower and laundry service right here on site, and we provide all the supplies um, that students need during the 12 weeks that they're here. And you're calling them students, but they 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 do get it. They do get paid, right? They earn a stipend. Yeah, $100 a week while they're in the program. It's uh, meant to help cover, you know, just living expenses while they dedicate this time to training. Melanie, there is full-time staff for the restaurant, so the trainees are in addition to the staff? Yes, that's correct. So we actually pair up uh, each student with a restaurant uh, staff so that they get to actually shadow them, uh, learn the different techniques, learn proper cooking techniques. Um, and also we're working on a front of the house program where students will actually get to shadow our servers uh, when it comes to customer service, when it comes to um, our barista program, uh, we we pair them one-to-one -one and give them the full immersion experience of actually working within a restaurant in their 12 weeks that they're here with us. So Ellen, beyond, I know it's 12 weeks, but tell me more about what the schedule is. Sure, yeah, and really we say 12 weeks is just the beginning. Um, so throughout training, we start, uh, teaching basic food safety. Students progress through different culinary applications, learn different stations in the restaurant. After graduation, we have a staff member that works on job placement. And we have two staff members who stay in touch with the students for years to come to provide any kind of case management support or career advancement coaching. How many graduates have there been? To date, we have 51 graduates. And we're, uh, we've got nine students enrolled right now. Wow, 51. That's Ellen Levy, Program Director for Culinary Training at Groundwork Kitchen. On the record on WYPR, I'm Sheila Cast. Also with us is Melanie Molinero, General Manager of the restaurant. Melanie, there's something at Groundwork Kitchen called the Seed to Table Tower Garden. What is that? Um, here at the restaurant, what we thrive on um, providing for students is knowledge. So we actually have tower gardens on the roof of our building. And with those tower gardens, our goal is that for the restaurant and for the students, we can provide uh, fresh grown lettuce and herbs. During their 12 weeks as part of their curriculum, the students will learn how to plant their own plant, how to take care of it, uh, see it grow, then harvest that plant or herb and 
put it into use when it comes to cooking. Now that could be using it as a flavoring in a dish or as a uh, garnish at the end, but they will see from start to finish what it's like to actually go through um, harvesting their own plants. And Melanie, right now the restaurant offers carryout only. What, what food is on offer? So currently we offer a breakfast menu. Uh, we are open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but next week we'll be expanding our hours to Monday through Friday. Uh, you can come into the carryout, get a breakfast sandwich, get uh, hash browns. We have amazing uh, breakfast toasts, and we have an array of uh, freshly baked pastries on site. Uh, we also offer uh, espresso and drip coffee. And when do you expect Grand Work Kitchen will be open for seated dining? We are shooting for around the second week in February. We have uh, a bar build out that is at the very, very end. And all of us are super excited to get open and get the community inside. Is the menu going to expand? So once we open uh, in February, we plan on having uh, a full dining menu, steak frites. We'll have a version of a Maryland crab cake on the menu. We'll also have plenty of vegan options. Uh, to note some, the Nashville fried chicken is going to be amazing. Uh, we'll have Mapo tofu, which is kind of a, a take on uh, a Szechuan style tof uh, tofu dish. We'll also have uh, charcuterie boards. So three, uh, pick three and pick five choices with some of the meats and jams, jellies made in house. Uh, so those are a few of the things that you can see on the menu going uh, forward. My stomach is growling. It sounds great. Ellen, tell us about some of the people who have completed the training. Who, who comes to mind? Sure. We have a wide variety of students. Um, in our you know, first five classes, we've enrolled students 18 who just finished high school all the way through um, students who are 70 years old. Um, and really we're seeing a wide variety of backgrounds too, from people who had kind of dabbled in culinary to people with absolutely no experience or maybe even a whole other career before coming to the program. And we have somebody on staff, she's an amazing woman. She has 17 years prior in law enforcement and she came into groundwork, uh, completed her, her training and then she stayed and volunteered. Uh, when I came onto the project, she had been volunteering for, I think about three cohorts after. Um, I saw the potential in her, I saw the determination, I saw how passionate she was. Um, and because of all of that and how amazing of a person she is, I brought her on staff with me as my assistant general manager. Her name's Kim Marie Price. Uh, she, She's quite a force, and she has been such an amazing addition to the Groundwork staff. She sounds like a force. Melanie, what are you looking at for the future of Groundwork Kitchen? So our, our plan for Groundwork is not to stop here at Washington Boulevard. Um, we were hoping to create a production kitchen where we can fully have alumni on staff. Um, we have been reaching out to the community, to local business owners, local makers to get involved with our students. Uh, and I hope in the coming year, uh, we grow beyond the restaurant. We have a production line. We have these relationships that we've created and groundwork 
grows a little bit bigger than what it is currently now. And Ellen, do you do you have plans for the students? What are your hopes? We're really looking to um, build a strong alumni network to where students can, you know, meet the graduates that came before them and the new ones who will come after, network with each other. We already have had some graduates who've been promoted and are in a position to let us know about opportunities available to, you know, the students from the program behind them. Um, We also want to look at additional training opportunities for the students because the, you know, the idea is to set them on a path from which they can advance. um, And everyone starts the program thinking they're interested in one thing. And as they get exposed to different aspects of the industry, you know, their goals change. And so we really just want to equip ourselves to stay with them and support them on that journey. Well, it's very exciting. I'm grateful to you for telling us about it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Melanie Molinero is the general manager at Groundwork Kitchen. Ellen Levy is program director for the culinary training that takes place there through Paul's Place. We have more information at the On the Record page at wypr.org. Our news partner, the Baltimore Banner, is reporting on another food development in Pigtown. The neighborhood is upset that its only grocery closed last month. We have a link to the Banner's coverage of food deserts at the On the Record page. I'm Sheila Cast. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow. <laughs>